How can we be loved if we don't know love for ourselves? How can we share love if love lives not within us? In the same manner, how can we live authentically if we have lived a conditioned life thus far? This and a personal story of travel adventure from the Pacific beaches of Chile to the mighty Mount Villarica volcano in Pucón, and even extending into Central Europe, Budapest, Amsterdam, and more. Today in episode three, The Authentic Self, here on Conversations with a Yogi. Day, dear ones, I hope this finds you lifted in attitude and in spirit. The world is a pretty unsettled place at the moment, but in our inner world, it doesn't have to be affected at all. Authenticity is defined as being of undisputed origin, genuine. I feel that today's focus will be on that undisputed origin. What does it mean to be undisputed? The question in us arises. Is our origin in dispute? Does that dispute lay outside of ourselves or is it within? Sure, we all have a mother and a father, but looking beyond that, who do we really belong to? Even if you're agnostic, atheist, or a fundamentalist, you believe in something, even if that something is nothing, and there's no greater substance in the universe than nothing. 96% of space is actually space. So to be truly authentic, we have to align ourselves to an origin, even if that origin is nothingness, or what I like to call spirit. When I traveled abroad in the year 2006, I began my journey in Chile, South America, in Santiago to be exact. While there, in happenstance, after a brief trip to the beach with my host family, I discovered the unmatched and breathtaking beauty of Viña del Mar. I made a quick adjustment and went, after only one week in Santiago, to immediately live in Viña. I made daily visits to Reñaca and to Valpo, a.k.a. Valparaiso, and literally, I lived on the beach in Los Torres del Jorge Mont in Viña del Mar. I would live there for five months, return home briefly to Baltimore for a month, and then I was off again to Prague in the Czech Republic for another four months. And while in Central Europe, I made an excursion to Budapest, Amsterdam, all of which is a topic I'll have to share for an entire show later. It was an incredible experience that involved magic mushrooms, talking swans, angry friends, cannabis fest, and a Charles Manson lookalike chess master with a hearing-impaired sidekick that stayed in the youth hostel. All this was complete with speed trains, racist encounters, romance, and more. It read much like a James Bond movie. In any event, I mention all of this because for me, travel became the ultimate test for self-discovery. In Chile, I lost my blackness, for lack of a better term. For the first time in my life, I literally had no access to soul food, family faces, American black popular culture, including television and music. 
I mean, you have to remember this was 2006. There was no messenger. There was no, there was Skype, but there was no easy access to faces and familiarity. I didn't know who I was anymore. And I literally freaked out. I even started to get physically sick. I was surrounded by the beauties of mountains and beaches. And I lived on the 23rd floor of a two-year-old modern high-rise building, which faced east. And it was only 40 feet away from the Pacific Ocean. Each morning, a beautiful sunrise seemed to be in competition with the one the morning before. Except, of course, during rainy season. But I was lucky enough to leave on the 17th straight day of raining clouds. And that was in mid-June. I arrived that year in early January. Nevertheless, my lack of access to cultural landmarks, if you will, that I was conditioned to have as an American, e.g. entertainment culturalism, such as dance, humor, literature, etc., the absence of all of it made me feel like the invisible man. And each day, part of me seemed to slip away until eventually I became a blank slate. At first, Jay-Z's Black album was enough. Hip-hop literally became my identity in a land with a foreign tongue, food, and people. I would recharge, metaphorically bringing back an arm, if you will, perhaps a leg during my run by listening to 99 Problems. And being born in the 70s and coming of age and the advent of hip-hop in the 80s, hip-hop made me feel grounded, and that became the root of all my blackness while I was there in South America. And I also leaned into my Catholic school foundation and Christian school upbringing by reading the Bible every day. But nothing, nothing seemed to fill me whole in terms of my identity. Each day, I would run along the coastline, just jogging as I often did to stand shape. I'd be beside the highway on a narrow strip of rock and cliffs on a sandy path that meandered through it all like a tiny river. Sometimes I'd reach an elevation of about 40 feet above the ocean. Other times I'd be on the edges of a small, unmanned beach. But always, always I was with spirit. I could feel God in the wind washing past my body. I could smell God in the salty, crisp air. I felt her in the heat that so deeply penetrated my skin. Although entrenched in the sensory world, I was having a cathartic experience daily on my runs. From Renyaka and back, all in all, from Renyaka to Vina, it was about six miles. And the beauty of the waves, the pelicans that would float above, the fishermen below bobbing up and down, would strip hip-hop and any thought of blackness from me each day. My spirit was soaring, and I didn't know who I was any longer. I had traded my fried chicken for avocados and empanadas. I handed off my trust of an old me for the truth of an evolved version. I was pure energy, unfiltered and unmatched. And this new fact had me in an embattled physical, emotional and psychological confrontation with my own humanity. Everything was in question. I was aware that I was American, black American. But what did that mean in my new context? I saw only one other dark-skinned person my entire stay and two other brown-skinned people in a total of six months. The first guy I encountered was black. I thought he was from the Sudan because his skin was so dark. He was a DJ that played records on the beach. He was from Panama. We would eventually speak. I was a little miffed at first when he seemed to ignore the universal head nod 
The black people everywhere seemed to know. He didn't even make eye contact with me as a fellow person of a darker hue. Looking back, I think he only had the job he did because no one else could endure the intense sun of a Chilean summer without shade as he did. His smile showed a brilliant ivory half-moon wedge of teeth that almost dimmed the light of the sun it was so bright. He seemed to be unaware of his blackness. He moved at ease in his being, and I admired all that he was. He definitely wasn't aware that he was a nigger by both my American and hip-hop standards. I wanted to identify with him as if our unity would give me a feeling or a sense of home in this densely native population where we were outnumbered about 300,000 to two. I knew it was silly, but it was the only thought I had at the time that gave me grounded, and I had only been in Chile for a week. I struggled with how to approach him to make a friend of like kind, for lack of a better word, but finally at the bidding of a fellow student in my program who said, insisted that I just go up to him and say hi. So I finally did, human to human. We spoke for a few minutes. His English was sparse, and my Spanish was non-existent at the time. So all we could really do was smile and sort of nod as we both shared the beauty experienced on the shores of the playa, which ironically would be pronounced playa in hip-hop parlance. Nevertheless, this was the start of my road to origin, to authenticity. If I wasn't black, as America told me I was, if I wasn't the child of Lillian and Thomas Bell, eater of fried whiting and watcher of Fat Albert, the Cosby Show and Good Times, who in the hell was I? Was I a Baltimorean? And what in the world is that other than a person from Baltimore? People both in Chile and in Prague would reply once I told them I was from Baltimore. They would say, oh, Ravens, oh, oh, Ray Lewis, or The Wire, The Wire. So was I a drug dealer, a street kid, or maybe I was a football player? Since I was none of those things, I tried to relate to my religious expression. I was a Christian, but the hills of Valparaiso didn't care about my prayers. The children and adults who with wondrous eyes would randomly stroke my dreadlocks without asking didn't know if I prayed to Jesus or Buddha. Yes, I could have gone to church and listened to a sermon but I had yet to learn the language nor the denomination of which I should be affiliated because that's an American thing. You can't just roll into a Baptist, a Methodist, an Episcopalian, a Catholic. You have to be affiliated by culture, by conditioning, by your past. Moreover, I couldn't imagine going and sitting indoors at a foreign ministry when I was experiencing God all around me. So naturally, I went to McDonald's, a standard of being human, or at least an American human, all across the world. And this was 2006, so I had hair and quite a bit of bad judgment when it came to food choices. Either way, you can feel my lack of knowing who I was or what I was at this point. I had never had the opportunity to experience myself from the inside out. America and her values always taught me to look from the outside in, to be manicured, have good manners, Sit up straight. Don't appear menacing. Don't appear too nice. Code switch. Walk with a bop here as to not get beat up. Walk straight here as to not get written up. While all my fellow intercambios or exchange students from Belgium, Spain, Australia, 
Sweden, Liechtenstein, Mexico, Bolivia, and Canada appeared to be having the time of their lives, I was living an inexhaustible existential crisis. I had no proof of who I really was, only fragments of things I collected along the way to create an image of who I was. I was a manufactured personality, a shadow of what was truly beneath the surface. And at that first month of living in Chile, I realized that who I was was being created moment to moment in real time. And that all came to a head in Pucón, in the southern region of Chile, on the mighty Mount Villarica. Again, I could spend an entire episode here, so we'll need to revisit my climbing of a live volcano. I can share that now when looking back, that four-hour ascension, coupled with at least 1,000 Our Father prayers to myself, and a one-hour descension, was all a crescendo experience. I saw a girl nearly slide to her death and fall off the side of the mountain and into the clouds, be it not for the valiant and quick response of two wild and puppy playful like fearless Israeli guys that were on that mountain with us. And at the summit, I recall our cheers of amazement that slowly murmured into screams and scurrying as the wind began to blow the hot magma east and west at whim. But I evolved on that mountain from fear to faith, from man to God's son. I confronted just about every fear I could imagine except for, of course, lions, deep-sea diving, and poisonous snakes. To this day, I make an annual trip to a mountain, no matter what the region is that I'm in in the world, and I make it a ritual to leave my fear there to be absorbed and grounded by the earth. And I use whatever fear accumulates between my time in a mountain and my time at sea level. That next time that I'm in the sky, standing above the clouds, yet feet still firmly on the ground, I leave my fear there. And I learned that living fully in the moment, it slows us down to a point of unraveling with time itself. We discover who we are with the world as the world discovers itself. No greater time is this notion of moving forward from moment to moment needed than it is needed today. In summary, look to God in you. Look to God to guide you and move you into right action. Recently, I caught myself still living a reaction-based life in many areas. It may be to possess a thing I wanted since childhood, perhaps to take a trip that I always wanted, but maybe my family couldn't afford. In those moments, I started to ask myself, who is in control? Is it an eight-year-old controlling a 47-year-old mind-body? If so, where does the 47-year-old go? What does he want to do now? And why is he yielding to an eight-year-old of the past, or perhaps I may catch myself lending time to the future me, a 63-year-old man planning for his retirement. If it takes 45 years for me to get what my five-year-old self wanted, was conditioned to want, was conditioned to desire, whose life am I living in those 40 years? If I live today and I try to amass wealth that is presented to me today, by corporate offerings of plenitude, whose life would I be living? Mine or theirs? In living day to day, moment to moment, and minute to minute, I'm able to respond fully, 100% to what is being required of me. And in these times, I can make powerful choices filled with possibility 
and I produce a life experience of authenticity. To close, authenticity comes from our ability to discern where we originate and who we truly are in order to be. Being requires presence. And being present requires surrender and submission to what is spiritually represented in a given moment. In doing so, our outcomes, our consequences, aka our karma of collective action becomes our life. And so we want our actions to come from an authentic space so that we subsequently produce an authentic life. Thank you for listening to Conversations with a Yogi. I'm your host, Changa Bell. Please remember, Conversations with a Yogi is a listener-supported program. You can donate on anchor.fm backslash Changa hyphen bell. Also, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Changa Bell. In addition, you may join me for daily meditations on Zoom, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Register for the meditations at www.changabell.com backslash morning meditation. Lastly, my work with juvenile offenders and the Department of Juvenile Justice has moved online. For more information regarding dialogue circles, mindfulness training, or guided meditation for your group or organization, connect with me via engage at bmyi.org. Peace.